So uh, coming up next on the You Ain't Heard Nothing Yet podcast, we are chatting to a modern Renaissance man, director, producer, writer, podcaster, commentator. He runs his own theatre company and is a accomplished actor who is in the thick of the 10th anniversary nationwide tour of his award-winning one-man show, Fight Night. Angus Og McNally, how are you? I'm doing all right. Thank you, friends. I'm doing all right. I'm uh, I'm a little under the weather, um, mercifully not with the Rona, a uh, bit of a chest infection. So I am currently dosed up on every conceivable medication known to man to ensure that uh, that I'm back on stage and fight with fit as soon as possible. It's um it's one of those ones. The show itself is is really physically demanding, mm. and so you just like you need to be in kind of peak fitness to do it. So doing it out there, like ordinarily just doing the show, I'm sucking for breath a lot of the time anyway. So yeah. doing it with a bit of a ch- chest on me is not a happy place to be. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm attempting to head it all off the past, but I've been surviving so far, so it's all good. Well, fingers crossed. Like, we've, we've no doubt you'll be 100%, you know what I mean? Parents yeah. and struggling on, you know? Absolutely. Dr. Theodore will swoop in and save the day. <laughs> <laughs> Look, before we get stuck into fight night, can you just tell us sort of a bit about yourself, sort of who you are, and um, maybe just what do you do, or what's, what's your crack, you know? Yeah, so it's funny. I mean, it's it's weird hearing it back now that all the kind of strings to my bow at this mm. stage, because in my head, I'm still just kind of an actor. Um, that's that's my first love, my first passion. It's it's always number one. Um, but it's so for me, it's the family business. I'm a third generation actor. Uh, my my grandparents met on the Abbey stage. My parents met on the Abbey stage. Um, and, and, you know, and your granddad, daughter as well, is it? Is she is she also involved in acting as well? She she may be heading towards the business. I don't know. I mean, I, we we made a show together a couple of years ago, so technically, yes, she is the fourth generation. Um, yeah. But I won't I won't be pushing her towards any stages anytime <laughs> soon. The thing, the thing I always say is like, okay, so yeah, the, the genetics are strong in terms of the the theatre and the acting and stuff. She'd be fourth generation. But I think if she went down the primary school route, she'd be ninth generation primary school teacher. My wife's family are all teachers, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there's there's strong strong genetics fighting either side. So yeah, I mean the family. So I'm Ray McAdally from Donegal was my granddad, three-time Best Actor BAFTA winner. He was married to Ronnie Masterson, a member of the Abbey Company. My dad is the other Angus McAnally, the real Angus McAnally, um, who's like an RTE broadcaster and singer and magician and actor and whatever else. Uh, and my mom is Billy Morton, who was herself an Abbey actress as well. So it's it's in the blood, as they said. All my aunties and uncles are TV directors and everything else as well. So it's it's the family business. So I got, I got into it through, well, did I get into it through that? No, I just kind of, I grew up around it. So so presumed it was what I was always going to do uh, and started working at 15 um, kind of professional debut at 15 and so I've been at it ever since for 25 years what was the first job what was the first act at 15 what did you do uh, so I got two jobs at the same time the, I got a, a movie called The Nephew that Pierce Brosnan made I think he produced it and starred in it mm-hmm. uh, and and so like my the very first audition I ever landed was a uh, was a scene opposite the late great Don McCann, one of the one of the greatest Irish actors of all time, and you go, "There's a baptism of fire for you as a fifteen year old kid." Um, and then at the same time, I got a, a theatre show, which was a production of Yeats's Cúchulainn uh, plays, all five of the Cúchulainn plays, which we did here in Dublin and then toured over to London as well because it was a, a big hit and everyone kind of lost their minds for it. So that was good. So, but I mean, it did mean like you talk about a baptism of fire thrown at the deep end this big successful show at 15 years of age and you know flying off to london to be on tour hanging out with actors who'd be leading you astray um so it was it was it was in at the deep end i still i have a vivid memory because of course back in those days it was before the internet uh, i have a vivid memory of walking through soho uh at the time i guess i was maybe i was 16 at this time um and there are certain kinds of shall we say emporiums uh, in soho that sell that sell uh, magazines and I guess at the time videos and uh, 
toys, I guess is another word you could say for, <laughs> for what they sell in those places. And my mind was blown. I had never seen anything the like of any of these things before in my little innocent, sheltered mind. So um, a lot of growing up happened on that tour, so we say. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, in terms of that, starting at a young age, was there, with all that going on in terms of like your family influences and obviously starting so young, can you pinpoint sort of a moment where you were like, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life? Or was it just from growing up from dead up, it was... I'd, I'd always known, like, there was never any question of doing anything else. And interestingly, because, like, obviously my dad, through the 80s, my dad was, like, kind of that Philip Schofield kids TV presenter um, for RTE and across everything back when we only had two channels. So he was a massive, massive star. Uh, but weirdly, it was never an intention of mine to go down the, the TV route or the radio route like he did. Um, it was only ever primarily the stage to begin with, and then obviously, you know, film and TV as well, kind of alongside that. But the, the theatre was my first love from from no age. Like, just, I, I don't ever remember a time where I wasn't going to be an actor on stage. Just, that's that's kind of how simple it was. It was just, it was kind of taken as a given. Um, and then, but in, ter in terms of, like, single moments, I remember uh, we did, so we uh, did a school play in transition year when I was 16, and it was Brian Friel's Philadelphia, Here I Come. And my granny came to see it, as you would. Uh, and afterwards, not that she was kind of effusive in her praise or, oh, my God, but she just came up to me and just kind of nodded and went, yeah, you can do this. Uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, that's that's the seal of approval. If the great one says, then maybe, maybe we're going to do this thing. So, and uh, yeah, as I said, I've, I've, I've never looked back. Um, kind of finished up school, went to, went to drama school here at Trinity, uh, did three years training and have been working solidly ever since. Probably is. And for a play that, you know, you've got continuous work and you're kept busy, do you know what I mean? Well, this is it. Look, I mean, it's it's a funny old game. Uh, and I think the, the old style of kind of sitting waiting for the phone to ring is not something that sits well with me. Um, I, I'm much rather be proactive, much rather being proactive, yeah, and getting out, getting out there and making stuff happen. For, like for a couple of reasons, um, one because it gives you a bit of agency over your career. Um, you know, clearly I am not Robert De Niro. I'm not cherry picking gigs here and there. I kind of, I can. It's not that I get to choose what it's what I can say yes to, you, but I can I can at this stage get to choose what I say no to. Yeah. Um, which is quite a luxurious position to be in. <laughs> but also, but also then, um, I don't have to sit and wait for someone else to give me a gig. I, I can create the work myself, but it means I can tell the stories I want to tell in the ways I want to tell them. I can make the shows I want to do. I can work with the people I want to work with. And that that's the real luxury, I think. Um, but yeah, no, look, I, it's, it's a funny business. It can be very difficult at times to earn a living. I've been very fortunate that, um, that I've, I've, I've made a good living out of it. I mean, in terms of, you know, what, what do you, what do you calibrate as success? Um, I've, I've, you know, I've got a, I've got a pretty happy life. Uh, I make enough to feed myself and feed the kids, keep a roof over our heads. Uh, I don't have a golden Rolls Royce, but uh, but you know I'm 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 doing the, sh the work I want to work in places I want to do it, uh, and uh, the wife and kids are still talking to me, so I'm taking taking that as a good sign. <laughs> you were just saying there about um, you know being able to sort of tell your own stories. You've created your own uh, or set up your own theater company, Rice Productions. Was that and who are actually running uh, Fight Night? Was that what motivated that, or was it just a business decision, or what was the crack there? So I, I have a weird thing where I just kind of presume things are normal that aren't normal at all. So I presumed that if you're going to be an actor, you would set up your own production company because my grandparents had Old Key Productions, my parents had Ashley Productions, so I have Rise Productions. That was the kind of from, even when I was still training in drama school, I was like, it was always my intention to have my own company. Um, just because I presumed that that's what you did. Turns out that's not what you do at all, but you can if you want to. <laughs> um, 
so uh, so that that's kind of the, so the kind of the idea of Rise was born, you know, when I was still a teenager, mm-hmm. um, and then finally it got. What happened was it got to a point around um, around 2010, 2009, 2010, uh, where there was a lot of work being made by kind of young, exciting theatre companies that I didn't think was very good uh, and was getting an awful lot of praise and hype. And there's only so long you can spend bitching and moaning in the pub going, look at them getting all this recognition. Their work's no good. It's like, okay, well, well, put your money where your mouth is. If you're saying that's not good enough, show us what you think is good enough. Mm. Like, step up to the plate. Don't just sit there and moan. Uh, so I did, and, and Fight Night was the first show we ever made. And so it was kind of a weird thing in that most people set up a theatre company to put on a show. I put on a show to set up a theatre company, if you like. That, like. The whole purpose behind Fight Night was to establish Rise Productions and kind of get it out there. Mm-hmm. Because it came about through this scheme called Show in a Bag, which Dublin Fringe Festival, the Irish Theatre Institute, and Fishamble Theatre Company uh, came together to kind of make this scheme where you would make these small, stripped-back, tourable shows to kind of get out, you know, in the depth of the recession, to get out and create work for actors, but also create work for audiences at, at venues around the country, because there was all these venues with no money to, to program shows in. So it kind of came through, I went and pitched, it, pitched the idea um, as part of Show in a Bag, got it, and um, and the rest, as they say, is history. Like it was it, it kind of instantly very successful, which was lovely, because you know, for for me, the first time I ever did a one-man show was a scary place to be. It's not something I really had any great desire to do. Um, uh, so that was scary, and also kind of launching Rise, it was a big thing. And so for it to go as well as it did, as quickly as it did, was like really gratifying and just kind of made made life an awful lot easier and a lot of elements of it. You, so you obviously set up Rise and you're an artistic director there. You've done his, like podcast. Is it his Irish like theatre history podcast? Yeah, it, so it's essentially not so much theatre history. It was like an interview-based podcast, but with a broad range of everyone working in theatre. So directors, designers, actors, writers, producers, stage managers... Um, all, all kinds of folk. The idea being, what happened was kind of in, in fairly quick succession, two kind of titans of Irish theatre in, in Thomas McCona and Phyllis Ryan had died. Uh, and they're people who would be kind of legendary names in my house growing up and people I would have known. Um, and I was aware that kind of for people even a little bit older than me, but certainly five years younger than me, they didn't know who these people were. And it's on the basis that like film and TV stays, it lasts. What we do in theatre is kind of ephemeral. It's like it's chasing smoke, it disappears. You re- the, the, the magic of it is you're either there in the room to share the wondrous alchemy that happens live on, in the room, or you're not. And, and, it's, and, that, like, and that's kind of the joy of theatre, that it is so unique, it is so one-off, it is, you know, appointment TV, like you need to be there or else it's gone. Uh, that's the joy of it, but also the problem is it means that we kind of disappear. So what I wanted to do was essentially make a time capsule of Irish theatre to go, what is a snapshot of the year in Irish theatre? So 52 episodes over 52 weeks, 52 interviews. And um, and I'm delighted. Like it, it is still the most comprehensive archive of Irish theatre voices. It's on the it's on the syllabus at Yale and all kinds of Ivy League schools and stuff. It's it's mad. Um, but, uh, but, I, but I love it. I'm really, really glad I did them because there's fascinating chats there with people kind of at the start of their career who've gone on to be huge superstars. There's chats there with a number of, pe- number of people who have subsequently died and, you know, to have kind of captured those stories before they did, I'm really grateful for. Um, and, and actually the best thing about it all is, you know, we start, I mean, that's, that's 10 years ago as well from the first series. I still have um, young drama students come up to me now going, oh my God, your podcasts are the greatest thing ever. It's like, um, like a cheat sheet for them because if you're a, 
an 18-year-old kid coming down to Dublin to study from Longford or wherever. How are you supposed to know who Lynn Parker from Rough Magic is? How are you supposed to know who Louise Lowe from Anu is? So it's like a cheat sheet before you go into an audition room. You go, ah, I know who they are. I know what they're about. I know what their style is. Um, and, and that's been a you know, really useful resource for, for drama students. And that idea of it living on, like, that's really kind of gratifying for me. Is, is that sort of element of like paying it back nearly in terms of like Irish theatre and Irish drama? You think that's important to it's massively important to me because look, the, the, as I said, the business has been very good to me. I have, I have a really lovely life. I, I, the thing I always come back to is when I was 15, all my mates wanted to play for Man United or be Beyonce or whatever. All I ever wanted to do was be an actor. And guess what? I'm an actor. Like I am, I'm literally living the dream. Like this is all I ever wanted. Uh, and and I have a very nice life, and it's all wonderful. So I, I feel very grateful for that. So I do try and I try and pay it back where I can. Um, I like I kind of, you know, again, you look after younger actors as they're coming up. People, people where you see a bit of a spark in someone, you see a bit of a work ethic. If I see someone who's a grafter, if I see someone who's going out there and getting it, I'll do everything in my power to, you know. And again, it's not that I'm Steven Spielberg. I can't, I can't you know, open doors to them, you know, becoming the next. Colin Farrell or whatever yeah. but I can do what little things I can do and that's that's massively important to me because I had it done for me uh, from certain people and also I've seen the opposite from other people I've seen people try and pull the ladder up after them and uh, I just I can't be that guy just right yeah uh, before we get properly stuck in the fight night I have one more question about the many strings on your substantial bow um, yes <laughs> you're also uh, a commentator a pro wrestling commentator for the guys Oh, go on ahead. Can I jump in and just say, <clears throat> like, <clears throat> Sean is, is very heavily invested in Fight Night and you as an actor. Yeah. But this is his probably favorite question. <laughs> hey, hey, lads, can I, can I let you know a secret? Uh, I'm, I, I'm invested in Fight Night too. I'm much more invested in the pro wrestling. This, <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite bit too. This is absolutely my favorite bit too. Hey, Jack, just had a little bit. <laughs> um, well, that was sort of the question. It was uh, like, how did you end up working with those guys? Because obviously you're like one of the lead commentators for their shows. Uh, yeah. But was it a theatre element? Have you always had a passion for wrestling or sort of had that come in? Like, like every young fella, I was, you know, watching Saturday morning wrestling and Hulk Hogan and Jake the Snake and Mr. Perfect and The Undertaker and whatever else. From the time I was no age, I was a fan of pro wrestling. Um, I, and, and, I, and I love it. I love the drama of it. Um, it you know, if, if they say that, the, you know, the essence of drama is conflict, what purer expression of conflict is there than a good guy and a bad guy squaring off in the ring, beating the Jesus out of each other? Uh, so in terms of the theatricality of the storytelling of it, uh, I fell in love with it. Um, now, I, I to be honest, outside of OTT, I don't watch a huge amount of wrestling. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time I watched, you know, WWE or AEW. Oh, no, I watched a bit of AEW a couple of weeks ago, actually, because I'd never really watched it before. Um, so I'm, I'm not as immersed in the day-to-day, week-to-week programming of it but um but there's no wrestling autobiography i haven't read there's no wrestling history book i haven't read it's i'm almost more excited about the the theory of it than the practice of it they're kind of the the nuts and bolts of it and so i would always say i'm like things like i'm a much better director uh for having been a pro wrestling fan the time i've spent around wrestling has taught me so much about physical storytelling about you know creating stage pictures about uh, all kinds of things so how it came about was um my kid brother rang me uh i guess seven years ago and said look there's this new company ott running wrestling shows will we go and take a look and i said no they're doing a big push on it being over 18s which means it'll all be hardcore matches and you know yeah. glass and cheese graters that that's not my cup of tea i don't like i said i like the storytelling I like the drama i don't like the, the blood and gut stuff i said so i've no interest in going to see it goes ah come on why, why we go and risk it and there was like one or two faces on the poster of english imports that i recognized 
And I went, okay, look, it's a tenner. We'll roll the dice. It'd be a decent night out. And I went to the the infamous Tivoli Theatre here in Dublin uh, and walked in. And this crowd sitting in front of us just turned around as we walked in and handed us a sign that said, Ward Section. And they said, you're in the Ward Section now. I was like, am I? They're like, yes. And so we got to sit in second row, right up against the ring. And the most spectacular carnival of madness kind of erupted over the next few hours with this crazy three-ring circus of comedy matches and high-flying acrobatic lucha stuff and you know real tough brawling and hilarious stuff and, and I was like I just I was blown away I didn't know that wrestling could be that and so what I did was I went straight up to the promoter afterwards uh, and said this is incredible. I have to work with you. I don't know if it's co-producing something, co-promoting something, but I have to do something. Now, what he saw was like a drunk wrestling fan coming up to me after the show going, hey, can I look into the wrestling business? And so, and so he just kind of went, yeah, sure, kid, find us on Facebook and kind of uh, kind of fobbed me off a bit. Um, and that, of course, was the great Joe Cabray, who runs OTT. And uh, so kind of what happened was, I, I was mad keen then. I was, I, I was going to every show. And what happened was OTC were then running in the Dublin Fringe Festival that year. And I think Fringe management felt that bringing wrestling to the Fringe, it, it was a good fit, but the Fringe audience didn't know that it was going to be a good fit. And they may not be willing to take a chance on it. So Fringe decided, why don't you get a special guest host? And because people would have known me from my work with around the Fringe and stuff, they went, oh, we'll get Angus in as a, as a special guest host for the night because he understands pro wrestling. And I think people went, oh, I don't know about pro wrestling, but I do know I can trust Ango. So if he's attached, I'll roll the dice on this. And people came and, you know, you know, sold out. Not only did they sell out the Fringe show, they added extra seats and sold those out to the point where I was sitting in my dressing room backstage and someone came in, took the chair from under my arse and sold it. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so that, like it's that it kind of did gangbusters business, uh, and what had happened was I had gone back, I'd gone back training. So a, a little insight into me and my past. I, just as I was finishing up drama drama school training back in two thousand and two, uh, the first ever wrestling school was set up in Bray County, Wicklow, in Ireland, by uh, Paul Tracy and a man that goes by the name of Fergal Devitt, better known to many people as WWE superstar Finn Balor. And so I went and trained with the boys for a couple of months back then, never with any intention of being a pro wrestler, but kind of off the back of three years of drama school training and, you know, dance training and movement training and physical theatre stuff, I thought it'd be another exciting and interesting thing to roll the dice on and just kind of add that as a, a tool in my arsenal, if you like. So I did a couple of months training there. And so back in uh, 2015, I went back training with Joe Cabray uh, because I was making a show for uh, making a show for the Dublin Theatre Festival that year. It was the third part of the trilogy that Fight Night is part one of. So uh, and I went. I, so I, I knew there was going to be an awful lot of fighting in it, and I hate bad stage combat. Bad stage combat drives me demented. Uh, and so I said, look, if we're doing it, I want to do it for real. I want to go not full contact, but as close as we can and stay safe. So I brought Joe in to choreograph all the fights. So like it, essentially, you have an ex WWE superstar choreographing the fights for this theater show, and we stayed working um, through that. And to make a long story even longer, uh, eventually kind of what happened was uh, Joe had started the VOD and it was doing well, but it was really missed. Like there was no commentary on it. It was just the raw footage. And I felt it was really missing it. And I spoke to a couple of people around the, the scene about, you know, what, what do you think about this? Do you think if we pitched it, he might go for it? And someone gave me the advice and said, don't try and pitch it. He's got too much on his plate. Just present it as a fait accompli. 
So what I did was like myself and Don Marnell, uh, who were pals, we just did it. We got together, recorded uh, commentary over uh, two matches, a big comedy match and a big title change, and presented it to Joe and said, look, no obligation, but this is here if you want it. We'll do it. And uh, myself and Don worked particularly well together. Joe loved it uh, and came on board then at the end, I guess the end of 2015. And, uh, or maybe end of 20, no, it was later than that, actually. Yeah, it wasn't in 2015, it was in the following year. And uh, and I've been commentating for them ever since. So I get the best seats in the house for the best independent wrestling anywhere in the world. It's fantastic. <laughs> Sean, he's a good man to know. He's a good man to keep in with. <laughs> because when I, that was, uh, when, when I saw Fight Night um, advertised at the Lyric, I was like, because I, the first, I went to the, I think it was the fourth anniversary show, the one of the, ah, the yes. Nobles, yeah. And I think you uh, like opened the show and that, yeah. I saw the poster Fight Night and I was like, that's the OTT guy. Yeah, there you go. And it, it, we're now looking forward to the show in a whole, whole other way. But oh, fantastic. That was a great story. Tremendous tale. Um, there you go. <laughs> so, look, we've talked enough about wrestling for one day for me anyway. Although I'm sure you two could sit here all day. I wouldn't get away from you. Um, the reason we've got you here, we want to chat about, about Fight Night. Tell us about it. What's the crack? Where did, where did you come up with it? And, um, and what's happening with it now? Right. Okay. I know we said we talked enough wrestling. So I originally... <laughs> I. I you know, look, it is what it is. No, I so I originally pitched this. Uh, I, I had kind of half written a terrible, terrible draft of a play about uh, a Gaelic footballer uh, who came from a long line of Gaelic footballers who was kind of you know looking to make a comeback, and it's just appalling and should never see the light of day. But I kind of went, okay, what if we change it? What if I, what if I did it about pro wrestling? And so I went, but I knew if I pitched it about pro wrestling, it'd never get made. So I said, look, it's just, it's an amateur sportsman, amateur sportsman who's living in the shadow of a successful dad and granddad and whatever else. I don't know where I could have got the idea from. Um, <laughs> so this, this third generation uh, sports person who's looking to make a comeback. And uh, I went in and pitched it to the people at Chona Bag uh, on the basis that I would look at any sport, preferably wrestling, but I'd look at any sport bar one. And the one sport I refused point blank to do was boxing. And the first words out of Gavin Costick's mouth when I walk into the meeting, if we're doing this, we're doing a bit of boxing. I was like, oh, for Jesus. Because <laughs> Gavin's dad had been a fighter. He fought for Trinity College here. And I was like, yeah, because, you know, there's many different sports that could really lend themselves. And going, no, no, we're doing boxing. I was going, yes, because multiple sports could be. I was going, no, no, it's just it's boxing. I was like, for Jesus sake. So, um, so, I, so I, and my reluctance was that I knew I couldn't fake it. I, I knew you'd smell it a mile away if I didn't have it right. Whereas, you know, as a guy player, you're going, okay, soccer, rugby, you know, even tennis or whatever, I can, I can fake that. That'll be grand. We, we'll get away with it. But with boxing, you can't. And so I knew I'd have to put the work in, and I'm lazy, and I didn't want to have to do work. So I had to, so we agreed we are going to go and do it. I went off and did a lot of research, worked with um, a lot of fighters. Uh, but also I did it at like a 12-week training camp. Um, where I had to, you know, learn how to fight basically, because I'd never, I'd never been in a fight before in my life. I'd never swung a punch in the playground as a kid. I, I'd, I'd literally never been in a fight. Um, so we had to start from scratch and do everything. And I thought I was relatively fit going in. Uh, boxing is a different beast, boys. Like it's, you, you learn a lot about yourself when you get in a ring. Um, and so, yeah, twelve week training camp. Um. And kind of famously, it became this thing of like, oh, wow, Engo lost like a stone and a half. What a transformation. Yeah. And because and, and, the show is this kind of really physical thing. Um, but kind of the irony of that is bringing the show back this time, 10 years later, I had to get back into a training camp to lose weight again. Only last time around, the weight cut was a stone and a half. This time around, the weight cut was six stone. 
So, uh, so it was a long, long, arduous process. Uh, <laughs> so, but thanks, man. Yeah, like, but the, so the whole thing of like, because the show is about this guy who who does let himself go and does pile on the weight and does get washed up and he's drinking and eating kebabs and pizzas and stuff, and then he has to go and get back in shape. And I can't tell you the amount of times running the coast here in Port Marnock where art imitating life where you're just sucking air hard. <laughs> Is this in any way worth it? Am I going to survive it? Uh, there were some, there were some interesting moments on those long, dark nights, I can tell you. But we got there. We got there. Uh, and so, yeah, so essentially that's the thing. The show is, is about this guy's comeback. Um, it's it's about a boxer who comes to this long line of successful boxers. Granddad was an Olympian. His brother was an Olympic medalist. And he and he and he wasn't, and you know he kind of lets his training slip, and has a big falling out with his dad, and then his own son is born, and he's looking down at the next generation, and he's got oh okay, it's not about anything that came before, it's about what's coming down the track, it's about like how how do I what kind of a man am I, how do I how do I be a dad for this son coming up, and he goes right I'm I'm, I'm going back in the ring, I'm making the comeback, uh, and it's kind of fascinating. I mean, what's interesting for me about it is. It, it deals with a thing that kind of people still haven't talked about. So we made this in 2010, Depth the Recession. And I remember at that time, every morning I would wake up and I would turn on the radio and on the news, there'd be another story of a 23-year-old unemployed carpenter or a 25-year-old unemployed brickie or a Sparks or whatever who had been killed in a single vehicle collision again at half two in the morning. And it doesn't take a genius to work out why all these unemployed construction men were uh, miraculously involved in these single vehicle collisions every night. Uh, and and we, we didn't face up to it. We still haven't faced up to it. We don't talk about it. And so the idea of making a show, and I didn't even know this at the time. It's only with the perspective of the, the additional 10 years, to make a show about one of those unemployed construction workers who survives uh, is is really it's really kind of powerful to revisit now and so whilst look it's a show called fight night it's about a boxer who comes from a family of boxers the entire show is basically an hour-long boxing workout with me speaking while i'm doing like the opening 10 minutes is me on the skipping rope i hate gavin costic so much for writing that in it really kills me every <laughs> night but, but but i do it so essentially it's, it is an hour of boxing training while you're talking to the audience but the play's not about boxing at all the play's about family the play's about fatherhood the play's about Irish men not being able to talk about things. The play is about if you are no longer the breadwinner, the head of the household, the you know the the guys putting food on the table, then what the hell are you? And that's what Dan Junior is is looking at. He's looking down at the sun. He's going, what kind of that's a line of play? Like it's, it's, the kids looking at him, he kind of just you could see him question, what kind of a man are you, Dad? You know who are you? What are you going to take a stand for? And that's the real exciting thing for me. So because I think sometimes we scare people away by going, oh, I'm not into boxing. I wouldn't like that show. Like, sure, it deals with the world of boxing. It's not about boxing at all. It's about family. Mm. You know? Yeah. Tell us this, you know, it was received incredibly well the first time out, uh, you know, awards and all sorts of things. Did you, did you find that intimidating? Like, was that, was that something that, you know, even having to bring it back again was a bit like, or, or, or was that just, is that just, you know, you just, you know, you chuck it as, it as it comes or what? No, you gotta be really careful. I mean, there's enough, you, you see it with, you see it with fighters, you see it with pro wrestlers, you see it with sports people, that thing of leaving on your own terms mm. and not outstaying your welcome. Yeah. There was a huge risk in me bringing this back. Um, I was turning 40. I was 19 J's of stone. Like I was, I was very overweight. Mm. The idea of coming back to do this show, 
I could have really messed it up. Like I could have, I could have, I could have done a terrible job, and I could have been unable to do it physically, mm-hmm. uh, and it would have soured the memory of like kind of this. Oh, this great show that people talk about from from before. So it was a real risk. It was a real risk. Um, however, I actually think it's a better show this time around. When I did it first, like so, like I said, the whole show for me is about fatherhood. When I did it first, my eldest uh, was two weeks old when I signed the contract. And I was going, yes, I have a two-week-old baby now. I understand fatherhood. I understand parenting. I am a parent. <laughs> I have changed uh, one nappy. I can yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, and needless to say, friends, um, I have gained a bit more perspective on parenting now that my eldest is about to turn 12 in a couple of months. Uh, so it's, um, it's a, like I've grown and developed as a person and as an actor. Um, and, and so I think performance-wise, it's it's much better this time around. And don't tell anybody, because the hype I keep doing is, oh, man, it was so physically demanding at 30. Imagine doing it at 40. Um, to be honest, I'm in better shape this time than I was first time around. Uh, it's taking less out of me physically than it did before. But if anyone asks, oh, God, he's killing himself on that stage every night, it's, it's, really, it's really difficult. Uh, it is, I mean, look, it is. It is still tough. Like, I, I, lose, I lose three pounds in the hour just doing the show. I sweat out three pounds just doing the show. Um, it, it, like, it's arduous. Uh, but and all my honestly, like it, like it's there's some heartbreaking moments. There's a lot of laughs in there, but there are some heartbreaking moments as well. Like it's tough. It's it's a, it's a big ask, and also it's a solo show. And I, I'm I always like to say I'm not I'm not really about an ego. I'm not I'm not one of those actors that has a massive ego that wants to be center stage spotlight on me. It's all about me. I much prefer having people to bounce off on stage. Mm-hmm. Um. So so when you're up there on your own, it's only you to do the heavy lifting. And if the show lands, great, it's on you. But if the show doesn't land. Hey, guess what? That's also on you. Um, but I'm, but I'm absolutely loving it. It's the way it's resonating with audiences is uh, is remarkable. It, it's it's touching a nerve. It's hitting home with people. They're having a really, they're kind of having a really great night out at the theatre. And I think after the last couple of years, we could all really do with that. The live entertainment thing being back, it means so much to so many people to kind of get together in a room, in in that kind of communal experience as a community, uh, and sharing these stories. There's, you know, there's a reason we've done it from. You know, campfires and caves. You know, thousands and thousands of years ago, human beings need storytelling. And whether you do that on a stage in the Lyric Theatre or whether you do it in an OTT ring at the Europa in Belfast, we need to tell that. We need to keep telling those stories. Absolutely. You touched on that there about how the show has been received. Do you think? And kind of maybe tying into that element of what you said with like recession and where the country was ten years ago. Has the show been received differently, or are people getting different things out of it? Because obviously, you said you're getting different things out of it, but from chatting to audiences, do you think they're taking it differently? Yeah, I do. I think I think it's less. I think maybe in the first production, it was a bit more uh, a spectacle. Probably isn't the right word, but kind of there was. It was kind of just amazed at this kind of real physical performance. I think, it, to be honest with you, I think the word is it's a bit more mature this time around. It's like it's just a bit more seasoned, uh, like a fine, like a fine wine. I get better with age. Now um, it just it, it it feels it feels like it's more rounded. It, it was it was a, just a big burst of energy to begin with. It was a bit, bit kind of frantic. We kind of rah rah rah, and that's impressive. And it was you know, and it was still very solid back in the day. But it's a much it's a much richer show this time around. It's much more detailed, and I think I think that is landing with the audiences. I really do. Um, they're having a great time. I was going to say, if there was a few lines or a sentence or five words that you would be able to hook somebody into into fight night, what would what would those be? The the great quote from the show is, "No man can fight his own da when both are in their prime, and that's the tragedy." You know how do you how, how do you measure up? How do you measure up? How do you define who you are? It's a hell of a line. I like it. I like it. 
I was going to say just before we jump into like a, we have like a quick fire round that we do at the end, just a few little silly questions. But before that, is there anything else that you have in the pipeline that you can tell us about? Is there anything else, you know, um, after after this or is after this, are we, you know, you're just going to have to have a wee like, like a wee breather? Well, after this, immediately, I am going to Disney in Orlando with my family <laughs> for a three week holiday Woo-hoo! because I've, I've been I've been in training since the first of February last year. Um, and I've had very few rest days in between, um, just in terms of getting back in shape to do the show and also just maintaining the stuff. We've been on tour since um, November 4th, and the tour will, wrap, the tour will wrap up on the 12th of March. So it's it's a long time on the road, uh, and I just want to I want to sit down and do nothing for a bit, and I want to make sure that the kids still remember my name. Um, so we're going to go and do Disney, and then, uh, but then interestingly, as soon as we finish in Disney, I fly home, I land on the Saturday morning, uh, spend Sunday jet lagged to bejesus, and on Monday I go back into a rehearsal room for development work on the next collaboration with Gavin Costick, who wrote Fight Night. We're we're getting back in a room to see can we recreate the magic one more time. There we go, fair play, right fair play. Um, yeah. Right, <clears throat> okay, we're going to jump into quick fire questions. Now uh, these are just a bit of crack. Now the first question is: um, If I was to ask you if you were a drink, alcohol, or otherwise, what would you be? Now, Sean, give give give. Uh, um, um, give Angus the example of what you would call me. So this example we've used for a long, long time. So frequent listeners will have heard this maybe too much. But the example that we use to sort of as an example, as an example, the example we've used as an example is uh, Jack being a pint of Guinness, um, and that is because he's an acquired taste, hmm. and a lot of people add on they like him, and they don't really like it now. <laughs> <laughs> So take that how you will. <laughs> um, I, I would be an old-fashioned, an old, a whiskey cocktail, an old-fashioned, uh, classic, steady, reliable, with a little bit of scope for an individual twist here and there. That's good. Nice. That's good. I like it. That's good. Uh, the second one is maybe something you're uh, a bit more unfamiliar with, given your training regime the last two years, but mm-hmm. a crisp sandwich. If you want to make a crisp oh. sandwich, what is the process? What flavor crisps? What bread? Maybe you don't like a crisp sandwich. Maybe you've got an alternative that matches. Well, I, I, I feel I'm going to get exiled from the country. I'm not a fan of crisp sandwiches. I'm not. I'm like, I, that's sacrilegious. I do understand that. I think what you. I know. I think. I, I, I'll put it down to the trainership. Yeah, just too many carbs, man. Too many carbs. Uh, no, I think. See, my one of my great problems in life is I am an absolute devotee of salt and vinegar, not so much the cheese and onion. But I think if you're going, my kids like Chris Sambos. So I think we're looking at very fresh, very soft white sliced pan, mm. uh, a, a an abstemious amount of butter. Don't over butter that thing. Uh, you're looking at probably king cheese and onion in there. And uh, and then that's it. Let let it speak for itself. Don't do anything else with it. Let it, let it, let it stand on its own TV. I'm a, I'm a great fan. Take simple ingredients. Let them do the work themselves. Don't you know? Need to overcomplicate things. Okay, perfectly. Um. So next question: If you were to go on a date, romantic or otherwise, with somebody living or dead, who would it be? So you know, it can be you know a romantic date, or it could be just like a dinner date. Or what would be your what would be your crack? I, I would go on a very romantic dinner date with my wife, Broadway superstar Adina Menzel. Please don't tell my wife, the primary school teacher, about this, because it might it might be problematic. But uh, in in my alternative existence, I'm married to Broadway superstar Adina Menzel. Uh, I'll tell you what I I'll tell you what I definitely didn't do. 
I definitely in no way flew to New York two, oh, but just before the pandemic uh, for four nights and saw her show three times in those four nights. <laughs> definitely did not do that. No, I did not. <laughs> I did not. Your wife does not know that you were there on business. One hundred, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I love Adina. She, she's like maybe my favorite actor. She's just incredible. Uh, and also, you grow up in, in a house with small kids, like Frozen is on all the time. Yeah. So she is uh, very much part of my life. But going back to the rent days and everything, I'm a, mass, yeah, yeah. a massive Adina Menzel fan. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be. I'll tell you where I go. I'd bring her to Bon Appetit uh, restaurant in Malahide for a, a delicious romantic evening, and then I would give her a little hug on the way home and say, "Thanks very much, Adina. It's very lovely to have a romantic dinner with you." There we, there, there we go. There we go. What was the show? If you don't mind me asking. It was a show called Skin Tight uh, by Josh Harmon, who wrote Bad Jews. And it, it actually, it was, so it was off-Broadway at the Roundabout Theatre, and it was her first ever straight play. She'd never done something which wasn't a musical before. And oh. she was phenomenal. Like, just incredible. Like, out of this world good. So the first night I watched it, the second night I watched her on player cam, basically. I didn't pay any attention to anyone else on the stage. Literally just followed her for the whole evening. Uh, and then the third night I came back again and just watched the show. And just... <laughs> Bask in its glory. It was incredible. But she's a phenomenal performer. Fantastic. Perfect. Uh, good stuff. Number four, a book. If you could recommend one book, what would it be and why? Uh, I would recommend Blood Red Turns Dollar Green, which is a trilogy of wrestling novels set in the old territory days by Waterford writer Paul O'Brien. Uh, they Short are fantastic. I love a good trilogy at the best of times, uh, as you'll see from Fight Night, um, and uh, and they're exceptional. So they're they're kind of they're they're fiction, they're novels, but they're set in the wrestling territory days, kind of like a NWA style arrangement where it's essentially mafia deal, and it, it's incredible. Really, really good crime thrillers. Paul O'Brien's Blood Red turns Dollar Green trilogy. That's what I recommend. Is that that's my, maybe I'm wrong here? Is that the same guy that did Jim Ross? Yes, yes, yes. that's exactly who it is. Yeah, I was like, I knew, I knew, I knew that name. Um, but yeah, no, all right, gonna have to go see it goes in. There you go, <laughs> Sean. Do you want to do that one? Then I'll do the last one. Oh, yeah. Um, so then the penultimate one, uh, superpower. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and what would you do with it? You can make up your own superpower if you want. Maybe you already uh, have superpowers. Maybe, like, I mean, you know, if you're doing that shit many dates, maybe. Um, I'm very good at cooking. Um, I think that's the problem is like, once you get good at cooking, you get really good at eating, which is not so great. Um, uh, what I would, I would, I would have, I would, my superpower would be mind control to convince casting directors to cast me more and to con- and to convince Adina Menzel that she was my wife. <laughs> okay, fair play. Fair, 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 fair. That's um, where I'm going with that. Okay, and the final one, um, if you had a magic ball. And yes. you could perform on any stage in the world um, or alongside people um, and to put on a particular a particular player, a particular performance or a particular show. What would it be? Who would it be? What would be the crack? This, this is really raw at the moment, actually. Um, the greatest play ever written is a play called Translations by Brian Friel. Yes, and they're, they're, about, they're about to do a co-pro of it uh, at the Abbey and the Lyric. Uh, and it's being directed by Katrina McLaughlin, who's the new artistic director of the Abbey. Uh, who's a director I've worked with before and I've had a huge amount of time for. Uh, and the only part I've ever really wanted to play in anything is the part of Owen in Translations. Right. Uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm not available for the show. Oh, <laughs> so it's, breaking, oh, it's, break, it's breaking my heart. Uh, so if I, could, if I could do anything, 
it would be it would be Rise Productions doing translations on the Abbey and Lyric stage, probably with me playing Owen, uh, Idina Menzel as Moira, um, and uh, <laughs> and kind of the rest of my friends from Irish theatre and the various other roles, I guess. Okay, well, yeah, heart, heart, heartbreaking, but at least it means we've got great theatre coming up so we can keep getting out and enjoying yeah. live events and making sure people are getting out and supporting the lyrics, supporting the Abbey, supporting live theatre anywhere they can. Definitely. Before we wrap up, Angus, do you want to tell everybody listening where they can find you and Rise Productions online and where uh, Fight Night will be their main dates are? Yes, indeed. So the, we're at the Lyric in Belfast on Sunday the 20th. That is getting very close to sold out. So if anybody's thinking about coming along, please do book that sooner rather than later. There's only a handful of tickets left there. Um, and then we will have, I'm all around the country in the meantime, and then we're kind of finishing up with two weeks in Dublin uh, at the Viking Theatre in Clontarf from February 28th to March 12th. Um, and uh, yet yeah, you can find us online, riseproductions.ie. Everything is there. You'll find me on instagram and facebook and twitter and all those ones as well i kind of just if you search for angus o McAnally, you'll you'll get me there somewhere well look angus thank you very very much for coming on and chatting us it was an absolute pleasure an absolute it's pleasure. been great lads thanks so much friends <laughs>